mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, all right. I don't want to watch I'm a Celebrity on ITV. I love ITV. I do not want to watch it. There's a lot going on this season that I find uh, distasteful. My friend, comedian Sean Walsh, is in the jungle. I would like to watch him um, because, you know, comedians support each other. He had a rough time on Strictly. He did something very naughty. He hurt someone's feelings and... I respect that woman tremendously, and I don't feel like that was the right thing to do. However, do I believe that that means Sean should disappear forever? No, I don't believe in cancel culture. I believe in accountability, in bettering yourself, and moving forward. Sean is a nice person who made some mistakes. He's an incredible comedian, and now he's in the jungle. Fine. Matt Hancock is not a nice person who's made mistakes. He is employed as an MP, as a civil servant. He is one of many people in charge of quite a lot of legislation that either improves or worsens people's precarious and very precious lives. And he is being paid reportedly over 400 grand, some of which he's donating to charity. But even that is fucking rude. Like, well, I'm giving some of it to charity. True charity is secret. You don't advertise that you're doing it. It's fine to uh, talk about a charity because you want people to have awareness about that charity and maybe donate themselves. But it's so self-serving to go on television and publicly declare like, well, you know, there are very few ways for politicians to show that they are real people. Wrong, asshole. You get an opportunity to show that you're a real person as a politician every single day when you are making these decisions, casting your votes, when you are the health secretary who's breaking the rules and grabbing ass behind the scenes, when you have been placed in a position of charge over people's lives. What Matt Hancock and all of his fucking friends, whatever you want to call them, these like boys who are the boss of us for some reason, but they don't have a normal life. They don't have much milk costs. They don't know how much bread costs. They've never lived in a council house. They've never had to attend state school. They just, they're not, they're Martians basically. The things that they put really good, hardworking people through in the pandemic cannot be forgotten. And to put them on a light entertainment show so that we can go, oh, ha ha, I'd love to see Matt Hancock eat ass and like do all these Bush Tucker trials and give him an opportunity to show us that he's a real person. That opportunity exists in your job for which you are handsomely paid. I just can't stand it. I cannot get on board with it. And I believe, no, not in cancel culture. I don't think Matt Hancock should be shot into the moon. But I don't want to give him any of my audience, any of my time. He has taken enough of our lives away from us. And I'm not going to sit and participate in the charade of like watching him collect stars and like eat bugs and be scared of heights that's not entertaining for me like I don't ever want to see him again um he deserves to you know do whatever he wants to do but not on my dime and that is the way that you exercise your own version of like what you will tolerate I've always said that if there is a performer or a comedian who offends you but they haven't broken the law then you don't pay to go see them on tour and give other people the opportunity to pay to go see them on tour. I'm not writing ITV complaining to Ofcom being like, Matt Hancock shouldn't be on, even though he shouldn't be on, uh, as evidenced by his dismissal from the Conservative Party. He's suspended because you can't be a sitting MP with a constituency and go on a reality show in Australia for three weeks. But anyway, do what you want, Matt Hancock. I will not be watching. And Boy George is uh, a very shady character, it seems. I didn't know this. So this is all alleged. 
legally, I have to say, because I can't confirm this, but people are saying that Boy George is a convicted criminal for the assault and false imprisonment of a male sex worker whom he tied to a radiator and beat with a chain. When was this? And people are also upset that, you know, if this was a straight man beating a woman and this woman was not a sex worker, because you know that, unfortunately, in our society, sex work is still devalued and not protected, then uh, that man would probably not be offered 500K to appear on national television on a family show. Shit. All right. Well, I can't just say this. It's irresponsible. I need more information. So obviously, I mean, I say obviously, we know what the club music scene was like. George, uh, Boy George did have drug abuse problems in the late 80s and early 90s. He struggled with heroin addiction. I mean, I really do respect the struggle that is heroin addiction. I've never taken actual heroin, but the drugs that they give you in hospital when you have surgery, I mean, whoosh. I, I've heard from heroin addicts that nothing feels better than heroin. And that is why opiates, I think it's an opiate, destroy your life. They take everything that you have until you're selling all your shit and then you lose your life. And it's very, very difficult to kick a habit like that. So anyone who has struggled with that, and the best thing to do if you haven't is never, ever start because it can be in many ways, you know, it's a choice the first time and then it's never a choice again. It could be more powerful than you. So like crack is whack. Stay away from heroin, please. Um, so we had loads of issues there. Burglary, drugs, da, 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 whatever. Okay. Assault and false imprisonment conviction. In 2008, he was convicted in a court in London of an April 2007 assault and false imprisonment of a Norwegian model and male escort who initially stood for a photography session. Mm, do we remember that? Sort of ruse from a recent Netflix series. On their next meeting, George handcuffed him to a wall fixture and beat him with a metal chain. His defense presented the effects of his long-term drug use as a mitigating factor. Well, yeah. So then he was sentenced to 15 months imprisonment for these offenses. He was initially incarcerated at Pentonville in London, but then transferred to Suffolk. He was given release after four months. And then he wore an ankle monitor and submitted to a curfew. I mean, he served sort of his time, like in a, in a sense, in the prison world. I don't think if you have uh, money and status, you ever serve your sentence. But he served like what was said to be his sentence. He was convicted. And then while he was still on licensed release from prison following an assault conviction earlier that year, he had his request to appear on the final series of Celebrity Big Brother turned down by the probation service. Well, yeah, they thought that his participation would pose a high level of risk to the service's reputation. Hmm. They argued if he used the show to promote his status as a celebrity and earn a lucrative sum of money, it could undermine public confidence in the criminal justice system. That is crazy to me. Okay, so how come the criminal justice system are more scrupulous than Channel 4's Big Brother and in this case ITV's celebrity get me out of here have been? Do you know what I mean? Like why aren't these why aren't these TV shows taking the same position as the criminal justice system? Like when it takes the actual probation service, which is flawed and overcrowded and shit and funded by the state so therefore shit how come they're the ones stepping in being like what you're gonna put him on tv i mean prison is about rehabilitation so maybe it's fine now but that yeah that does seem very weird to me that they would be exalting him on a family tv show okay i mean how do you feel about that please write me a letter telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I'm very confused. I think I need time to think about this. Hmm. So what is the difference between paying your service to society when you have wronged someone, broken the law, done something bad, or when you haven't broken any laws? Like Sean, you know, you had a scandal, you upset someone, you behaved badly. Like what is the time? What is the sentence when you go away for a while and repent? And how can we tell if someone's really repented and if they're ready to come back and if they should be welcomed, you know, into a family show. And should Matt Hancock be on I'm a Celebrity? 
Like he, it's disgusting that he has to say the words, I am a celebrity. Get me out of here. Like he's gone on a show to show he's a real person. That show has the word celebrity in it. Fuck face. Write me a letter. But the big story of this week is, of course, that Cher has taken a 36-year-old lover. That is a 40-year age gap. Yes, I do have problems with age gaps when it is an older man who habitually dates very young women who are like 19 or 20, just on the brink of adulthood. I like that this guy's 36. Cher seems to be very happy. He's Alexander Edwards, the vice president of artists and repertoire department at Def Jam Records. She says he treats her like a queen. Whoa. Abruptly, I had to leave and I had to drive to Stockton on Tees because I'm on tour all week and now I'm in Leeds and tonight I am in Stoke. But picking this right back up because that's how the podcast goes sometimes. Like Fred wakes up from his nap. I got to go. Then I got to pack. I got to get in the car. And I slept in in this hotel because I decided this is my personal baby moon. I didn't bring the family. Fred is quite dangerous in hotels now because he like just runs around. I mean, I think he would like it here. It's the Dakota Hotel in Leeds. It's my very favorite hotel. But um, I just was like, I'm going up north alone. See you guys late Saturday night. So, yes, Whitney Houston said he treats her like a queen. And she also said, love doesn't know math, which I don't understand as a statement. Do you mean love or Joey Essex doesn't know math? Love does know math. And I've talked about it before that I do struggle with age gaps, but not when the younger person is an actual adult. Like this guy's 36. He is a father. He's had a life. It's not like Cher is making a habit of hanging around outside high schools. Which like, I don't know, Jerry Seinfeld. I love Jerry Seinfeld's comedy. I love Seinfeld the show, which never really popped in the UK the way I feel that it should have. You guys are really missing out. Like the fact that you guys loved Friends, you were like, Friends was the one in the 90s and not Seinfeld. You fucked up. Seinfeld is great. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus's interpretation of the character Elaine, like her portrayal of that character, is probably the best character I've ever seen in my life. Before, now, in the future, like it holds up. So I know people are going on the streamers and they're binging old box sets from before. Violet does it. She has discovered The Office, The American Office, by the way. She loves that. She used to watch a lot of Big Bang Theory before she outgrew that. Thank God. But Seinfeld, treat yourself to a little Seinfeld. And so many things in the script. I can imagine like me trying to push through and... uh producers would be like we don't get that but Jerry Seinfeld for some reason would just be like this is what I want in the script and I'll make it make sense and he did anyway he dated this high school girl Shoshana for a while and she was literally in high school but it was legal I think she was 17 or 18 anyway look Cher's not doing that Jerry Seinfeld didn't get canceled for that because all the men were doing it then and it was fine with people so he um they seem to be in a good, you know, situationship. Um, what did Jada Pinkett Smith call her thing with the younger man? Entanglement. But people on social media love Cher. And Cher's very active on Twitter. She writes back to fans all the time. She's very disarming. And she's like just herself. So uh, people have reached out to be like, I don't like this relationship. I think it's bad. And Cher tweeted, let me explain. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. But here's my issue with him. He dated Amber Rose, with whom he shares a three-year-old son. Amber Rose, you will know, she is a very beautiful uh, activist and model. She often has a shaved head, and she used to go out with Kanye West. She has a very uh, curvaceous body. I'm sure you remember the pictures of her on red carpets with Kanye West, if you don't know her already. But in August 2021, which, by the way, is not that long ago, it is in Fred Kutstra's lifetime. It's like 14 months ago. She publicly ousted him as a love rat. She posted this about Alexander on Instagram. Quote, I'm tired of getting cheated on and being embarrassed behind the scenes. All 12 of y'all bums, the ones I know, there's probably more, can have him. 12. 12 women he was cheating on her with. 
Y'all very much knew he was in a relationship with a baby, and y'all decided to fuck him anyway. I saw the texts and DMs. Y'all were well aware, but y'all don't owe me any loyalty, so it's whatever. I can't be the only one fighting for my family anymore. I've been so loyal and transparent, but I haven't gotten the same energy in return. I'll never say the girls' names, because I'm not in the business of ruining lives, but y'all know who y'all are. As for him, the lack of loyalty and the disrespect is ridiculous, and I'm done. Signed, Mava. Ooh, are white women allowed to use that? Mother, mother. Ooh, I feel like it's almost drag, but a lot of black female culture has been appropriated by drag. Sorry, drag queens, but, you know, I- I've been guilty of it too because it's, it's so cool and powerful and it's tempting. No, we're not allowed. I would have to put signed, mom. <laughs> so several days later, Alexander confessed to cheating. He said that though he loved Amber Rose, infidelity was his true nature. <laughs> like, I, I kind of, in a way, respect that. I love her, but look, I got to cheat. He said, I love her. That's my best friend. That's the mother of my son. I love my stepson too, but I like women. At the end, I don't think anybody can be happy or successful if you're not truly yourself. Whether people understand it or blame you, that is who I am. And it's not how she wants to be loved shit do you know what I feel like that's a very well what he did wasn't fair because there was no transparency in the beginning Amber Rose did not know that she was in an open relationship and with consent comes honesty and transparency and I really believe that if you're having sex with other people and the mother of your child thinks that you're only having sex with her not only is that a betrayal but it is physically dangerous I've been in relationships where I was cheated on with plus 12 women like Amber Rose and I found texts and DMs and everything else and instantly like I went to the clinic because I was like what the hell you can't just you know because you could have an STD I don't know but a lot of times these men I think they use protection when they're out of the house because whatever I don't know I didn't have any STDs at the end of the day but um yeah, like he's choosing to be honest now, but all of this could have been upfront in the beginning. And who knows? Like Cher is a busy woman. She's killing it. She's touring. Maybe we can't judge someone else's relationship because we don't know the nature of that. Maybe Cher's also fucking other people. Or maybe she doesn't care if he's fucking other people. But this man, I hope she doesn't think she's in a monogamous relationship because this man in my baby son's lifetime, has drawn a line in the sand where he said, I'm going to be banging other people. So her fans have tried to warn her about his past, but Cher stands up for him. So someone tweeted her, Cher, your crew loves just a heads up girlfriend and we want you to be happy, but dude has a history of cheating. And then someone also wrote, Cher, make him rap it. Dude is seriously a player. Please don't fall in love with him, okay? And Cher wrote, babe, English is my first language. I'm in love, not blinded by it. Know what I know. Smoke doesn't always mean fire. Well, yeah, it does. When is there smoke without fire? There might be smoke from some, like, kindling that is about to burst into fucking flames, Cher. There is fire where there is smoke. So Cher is twice divorced. She was 16 when she met her first husband. And then she signed an ill-advised contract. The contract stipulated that he would receive, this is Sonny Bono I'm talking about, 95% of their earnings. Did she get the other 5%? No, her lawyers would get the remaining 5%. So when they split, Cher agreed to participate in more than a million dollars worth of shows and appearances with Sonny in order to get out of that contract. Can you believe that? That was fine in 1964, circa 1975, when they broke up. And then Sonny hit a tree while skiing and he died. On June 13th, no, oh, June 30th. That's my birthday, but 1975, so I wasn't alive. Four days after finalizing her divorce from him, Cher married another musician, Greg Allman. She divorced him nine days later because he was on heroin. But then they reconciled a month after that. But then they split for good four years after that. So, I mean, she's had a tumultuous dating life. She's been around the block. Can you imagine signing a contract? But that's how life was for women. Like, people think that we're just moaning and, you know, especially white women. 
I have said, like we're, we're, we've hit a bad patch where thanks to some Bill Burr material and some of us fancying serial killers and some of us failing to be intersectional enough with our feminism and people like fucking Theresa May and Liz Truss coming in and killing the queen with their white women <laughs> ways. Like, unfortunately, the behavior of some of us paints a picture for the rest of us. And people just really don't like white women right now. And they're calling us Karens. But, but women's equality issues, like, it's so, so recently that we could be fucked out of a contract just because we're married or we weren't allowed to have a bank account or we couldn't buy a house or we weren't allowed to hold a passport because it belonged to our husband. And still you have people getting married, always just taking the husband's name. They don't even question like, oh, isn't it weird that I just take his name and give my children all his name? Like no one even takes a minute to be like, where does that come from? That's weird. Anyway, my dad gave me away at my wedding to my husband. I was wearing a white dress. Like we have so many of these traditions still. I just think it's weird. Cher has dated younger guys before. She dated Tom Cruise when he was 23 and she was 38. I would love some insight on Tom Cruise. Who is Tom Cruise? Why won't a woman like Cher just open up? I mean, he probably wasn't the, the sort of eccentric Tom Cruise that we know today when he was 23. He had like kind of funky little teeth and he was just fresh in Hollywood. Oh, I hope nothing happened to Tom Cruise when he first came to Hollywood. Hopefully Cher looked after him. But yeah, normally I don't love a relationship like with an adult. Like, so she's divorced twice and she's dating someone under 25. I don't like that share, but it's Tom Cruise. So he had, he had the aliens on his side. She dated Bon Jovi's Richie Sambora, who was 13 years younger. Well, that's pretty cool. Look, Cher, I hope you're happy. I hope this works out for you. Every once in a while, I, I don't know, some of these... Big celeb women really want to have some fun with a younger man. It's exciting. Maybe you feel energized by his presence, but know this. When Jada Pinkett Smith, she was married, it was a different story, uh, hooked up, had her little dalliance, entanglement with this young August person, Augusta, August. It all went to shit. It ended up with Will Smith punching Chris Rock at the Oscars. So like... I think these younger men are mostly not worth it, mostly trouble. I'm certainly not interested in any younger men. Please don't get in touch with me. I actually have a lot of um, real hostility against you, <laughs> but I hope it always stays that way. But we love Cher. That's all people are trying to say to you, Cher. We just love you. We want to look after you. Oh, I made it into the Daily Mail this week several times, actually. I mean, the Daily Mail online, which is not really the Daily Mail. I don't know. It's not the physical newspaper. I don't think. Maybe I was in the physical newspaper. I haven't seen a physical newspaper in a long time. But um, I did a few red carpets with my gorgeous husband, Bobby Kay. We went to the Glamour Women of the Year Awards. That was super fun. Jen and Fiona did a really amazing galactic look. I loved the dress. It was really high fashion. It's a couture designer called Guyanel. It's G-Y-U-N-E-L. Do yourself a favor, go on Instagram and look at some of Guyanel's designs. They have a shop in Knightsbridge behind carrots. It's just like crazy amazing stuff. Crazy amazing stuff that I would never imagine that I could wear. And you, you know, I wouldn't be wearing it if I wasn't on a Glamour Woman of the Year Awards red carpet. <clears throat> I hosted that awards. It was so inspirational. There are so many women who are deep, deeply involved in activism and really changing the world. And there were lots of different ethnicities there, people from different backgrounds, different countries. There were some beautiful trans women in attendance. It was just a good day. It was a fun day, fun day out. Less, I mean, look, you don't have to drink. I will say that being pregnant pretty much solidly for the last three years, I have enjoyed never waking up with a hangover, uh, always having a clear head. There's something that you get when you're older called hangxiety. I, I don't know if, I, I think I probably got this when I was younger too, where you wake up in the morning and even if you washed your makeup off and went straight to bed, you have this feeling that you're like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I say? Because no one remembers the last few minutes before they fell asleep. 
and you probably did and said nothing. But look, maybe you texted an ex. Maybe you did. Um, so I like not drinking. I actually love it. But sometimes when I'm at a do and there's some lovely cold white wine flowing, I do want some. I do miss it. And it's easier to tolerate other people who are drinking when you're drinking. That's a fact. And Bobby, <laughs> Bobby had to drink lady drinks and eat lady food. He, uh, he doesn't usually drink white wine. He'll have a bit of white wine maybe at dinner, but he had to have, you know, champagne and wine. And then the meal was all vegan. <laughs> his face when he saw the menu and it was delicious by the way but the menu like the starter was some beetroot thing that was had a lovely mousse I enjoyed it and then the main was cauliflower and it was genuinely just cauliflower with a little ooh, some type of puree of parsnip or potato or something it, it looked stunning some of the cauliflower was like purple uh, lavender colored. It was stunning, but I mean, like he was still hungry and he hadn't eaten all day because Bobby's working out again in the gym and he just has a smoothie in the morning. Look, I think Bobby, he wasn't drunk, but he, he was on the white wine and the cauliflower starter, uh, main. So he got a little bit like just a little without me. And I was like, oh, I'd like to have a white wine with my husband. But anyway, it was super fun. So I changed into pajamas to leave because I had to get that dress back in good Nick gave it back to Jen, my gorgeous stylist, and I got papped on the way out. So Bobby's in this beautiful suit. He looked gorgeous, and I'm in, like, well, a very, very fetching Haley Menzies cardigan, thank God, to cover up that I was in Bobby's black T-shirt and black track pants. So, I mean, whatever. But the main reason I was in the Daily Mail, and I was actually contacted by someone at GB News. I don't know how this guy has my number. He texts me sometimes to be like, hey, Catherine, it's so-and-so from GB News. Do you want to come on GB News and discuss this or that? I'm like, no. Not that I have a problem with GB News. Some of my friends are on there. And I think, you know, I love to hear Britain's conversation. I don't care. It should come from all different places, even if you disagree. But I don't have time to go on GB News and talk about Christmas decorations. That's right. I have put up my Christmas decorations. Have you? I know that in England, there's a law that you can't put anything up before Halloween, definitely, but mostly they don't want to see anything up until December 1st. And then they definitely need to see it all taken down by January 2nd or something. Like you guys do not fuck with Christmas decorations for long. And in Canada, I, I don't think we put it up mega early, but we have bigger houses, we have bigger lawns, and we are less metropolis, I guess. So there isn't a lot to do in every town. So what your parents would do is load you into the car at Christmas time and drive you around to see everyone's lights. And you can even go on walks to look at Christmas lights. And every house would go all out. It's so suburban, like battle of the dads, throw climate change to the wind, just, you know, like <laughs> the sparks in the outdoor extension cord would be like, part of the design and you'd have reindeer on the roof and you'd have a sledge and like all these big blow up things like from Costco or whatever like it's it's actually beautiful kids love it I remember loving 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 going to look at everyone's Christmas lights and it's kind of disappointing that in London anyway only a few houses do it and everyone's kind of tasteful and subtle and you know there isn't much surely you can drive to some neighborhoods or you can go down to Knightsbridge or Oxford Circus and look in the shop windows and see all those lights but I mean I don't know look you guys are aware I'm having a baby I don't have time to fuck with Christmas down the road I could be having this baby anytime so I'm putting the Christmas decorations up yes I had my friend at Poppy Bell Florals come by and she did the door I've done many door um, installations with Poppy Bell before I was first inspired by Stacy Solomon I saw she had an amazing autumn door like installation, these uh, pumpkins and leaves, and it wasn't a spooky Halloween one. It was just a gorgeous autumnal paradise. And as soon as I saw that, this was probably four years ago, I said, yes, that for me, please. And I started with autumn, and then we did a Christmas one, and now we permanently have some beautiful wisteria from Poppy Bell Florals, and she does smaller things. She'll do indoor things, wreaths. She'll do just little flower things. She has a lot of contracts with restaurants and shops to do big floral, um, just ugh, masterpieces, really. 
but I like having the flowers on the door year round. So for Christmas, I was like, look, we're bringing home a baby, presumably. Let's add to the flowers that we have and do something for Christmas. And I said to her, just do what you like. Don't go too OTT. And my husband gets quite antagonized by the big door decoration. So just something tasteful. Add to the flowers that we've already got. Keep it sort of white and silver and, uh, you know, fill your boots. So she came by and we were unpacking and renovating because we're trying to get the house ready for the baby. We're all moving rooms. And I wasn't really watching what she was doing, but I trust her. She's such a genius and her team are so great. And then Bob, he comes to me, goes, Catherine. I said, yes. He goes, there's a fucking polar bear on the roof. I said, no. He said, yeah, there's a polar bear on the roof. And I went outside with Bobby and she's like, now I know you told me not to go to OTT. And I'm so happy she said that in front of him because then he couldn't blame me anymore. And she said, but you know, we have this polar bear and we thought it went really well. And it looks exquisite. Bobby has said his favorite part of the design is the polar bear now. So he loves it. How could he not? It's stunning. It's gorgeous. Have a look at the Daily Mail article in my front door. I haven't taken proper Christmas pics yet because yeah, it is a bit early, but fuck off. Like there are so many problems in the world right now. The Daily Mail wants to antagonize the nation by being like, TV's Catherine Ryan starts her Christmas celebrations very early as she gives her London home a festive makeover. And, you know, I understand what they're doing. They love to poke the bear. But I decided to read the comments on the Daily Mail because they, I think they're funny sometimes. And so many people were really upset about it. They're just like, how dare, how garish. I've never liked this woman. And now that I see this fucking bitch who can't stop breeding, by the way, this immigrant who's come to our country just to have a load of babies back to back, has put up her Christmas decorations November 1st in a fucking energy crisis. Look, I put them up November 2nd and it's because I'm having a baby. So I had a great time in the comments. And also, I don't expect Daily Rail, Daily Rail readers to like me because guess what? This is another lesson in letting go. I don't like Daily Mail readers by and large. Some of them are probably fine, but the ones who read every single online article and actually create an account to scroll down and leave a comment, like that's not my kind of guy. So... No, I liked it. I don't know. Are you guys putting up your Christmas decorations? Do you have family outfits picked? Are you feeling antagonized by the Christmas music, by the Christmas adverts? Because I, for one, feel that Britain needs joy right now. And Christmas is a beautiful season. It's raining. It's this real lull between like Halloween and Christmas. Let's get it going. Put the tree up, put the wreath up, put some presents under the tree, like just make it look festive. Start drinking mimosas in the morning. Have as many mince pies as you want early because guess what? I tried my first one last week and I thought it was delicious. I like mince pies, it turns out. I'm allergic to the outside, but the raisiny sweet inside, yum. When did you put decorations up as a kid? What was your whole Christmas thing? Please email me telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Oh, James Corden has been having a bad time. And uh, I've struggled with the need for marketing, PR, publicity. I feel like there are these big PR firms who earn thousands a month from each client. I'm not joking you, thousands per month. And I don't really know in this day and age what they do. I am told they strategize, yes, sometimes part of a PR person's job is to keep you out of stuff. Like, it would be great if someone could talk to the Daily Mail and be like, can you not report on every single thing Catherine does on her podcast? Because then it seems like I'm ringing up the Daily Mail every day and being like, Daily Mail, I'll put my Christmas decor up. And then sometimes they quote the podcast, but without the nuance and like the sarcasm or the irony that I'm actually saying stuff with. It would be kind of good to streamline that so that I'm not annoying people, so that I'm not featured too much. Uh, and they also have partnerships with magazines and brands. You know, like I see there's a place for it, but I think that place is changing as time moves on. And then there's the argument that no publicity is bad publicity. Well, James Gordon has this thing out, Mammals, on Prime Video, 
uh, I think it's a series or a movie. I don't know. I've seen a lot of adverts for it on the London Underground. But those adverts came just the day that that restaurateur said that he was an asshole. And then it went around the internet. Oh, is James Corden an asshole? And then he apologized, but then he retracted the apology. I don't know what's going on there. And then days after that, Ricky Gervais' joke uh, surfaced. I mean, it was a clip of James Corden talking about, oh, what was the joke? It doesn't matter. He was saying some joke on his show, and someone spliced it with a Ricky Gervais bit, and the joke was word for word this Ricky Gervais bit. Oh, yeah, it's about people getting offended. It's about, like, the some basic summary of the joke is, I don't go into a town and see a, less, a sign that says guitar lessons, and I go, I don't want guitar lessons. It's like, okay, that sign is not for you. That's the basic premise of the joke. You don't have to get upset about a sign for guitar lessons. It's for someone else. Anyway, it really is the joke, word for word. And you can tell that it's not an accident. With joke thievery, sometimes it genuinely is an accident. That two comedians or two performers can think of the same premise and it has the same natural punchline and they end up arriving at the same place. But there will be some differences. And that does happen accidentally. 100% it happens accidentally. Or maybe you went to a comedy show and you overheard something, but you forgot. And then you go, did I think of that? And it's still going to be slightly different. But in this instance, it was super word for word. And Ricky came out on Twitter and said, look, which is exactly what I've been saying since this whole thing started. If you didn't see the storm about it on social media, Ricky said that joke was probably given to him by a writer. And he didn't know he was stealing it from me, but he was told by a writer, like, how about this take on that subject? And then he said it. And maybe the writer didn't even realize, but whatever, that's how it happens. And that is exactly how it happens. And after that, another joke came out, because once they start digging, they'll find everything. Uh, James Corden telling a Noel Fielding joke. And Noel Fielding tweeted it and was like, I believe this is my joke. Yeah, it happens again. So... Did James Corden purposely steal these jokes? I don't believe so. I think that's the danger of having writers. And people are confused about comedy writers. I was doing a project last week where they wanted me to talk about a certain subject on camera. This is not stand-up. It's just on-camera chat. And they said, we've had a writer look over and he's got these ideas. And I said, I don't want those ideas. Like, I, I'm going to be funny on my own and I have my own ideas. If we're lean on stuff, I'll take a look and try to make it my own. But ultimately, I think I have enough ideas. And I think it's dangerous because if you don't know that writer well, they could be someone who, you know, the writer has to submit like 10, 20 ideas. They could be low and they could accidentally or purposely nick something and give it to you. And no one goes back and goes, oh, that writer stole the joke from Ricky Gervais. They go, James Corden stole the joke from Ricky. So when you're on television a lot and you have to generate a lot of topical material, that is when comedians or hosts have comedy writers. When we go on tour and do our like one hour narrative stand-up show or an hour and a half or whatever your tour is, you don't have writers for that. You might have friends who are comedians who come and say, oh, you know what a good tag might be? Say this at the end. That's funnier. Or maybe if you change the order of this, it might be funnier or make more sense. And you go, oh, yeah, thanks. That make me, that's cool. Yeah, I'll add that. I'll try that next week. But when you are delivering a monologue and it's topical and you're on TV, like I do sometimes have writers for that too. Um, eight out of 10 cats or oh, like even mock the week or whatever. Like they will give you some extra ideas because it's just impossible to generate that much material all the time. And unfortunately, it is your responsibility to look at the ideas and to have enough of an encyclopedic knowledge of the comedy around you to go, oh, no, I think I've heard that before. And that's a big job. And you can get it wrong. So that's how comedy writers work. I feel bad for James Corden. I don't know what's going If all this bad press is designed to promote mammals or what, if they're like, let's get all the shit out about James Corden that we can and really bury him in the news and then maybe people will go see this thing. Like, I don't understand the, I don't understand the spin, but I, I think that that could be the new way of doing PR because we've talked more about James Corden in the last two weeks than in the last year. So, I mean, God, I need a scandal. I need a scandalito to come out about me because, well, pfft, 
actually. Yeah, people are going to get quite upset. Um, the Louis Theroux interview on the BBC. The series has been incredible. I've watched the Judy Dench one. I missed the Youngblood one because I was away. I will be watching the Bear Girls one this week. I loved the Stormzy one. I, I just, I think they're so well done. And Louis Theroux is famous for his immersive documentarian journalistic style because he asks questions and draws from his subjects something that no one else does. He's just great. And I'm lucky that I'm so busy and aloof because if in the moment being interviewed by Louis Theroux, if I really let it sink in, like, oh my God, I'm being interviewed by Louis Theroux, I wouldn't have acted naturally. Do you know what I mean? I was so busy that I was able to just be myself. And I know Louis a little bit from a few little dinner parties here and there. So I felt comfortable. And it is, uh, I'm probably too much myself <laughs> in this interview. Louis in my house. Louis in the car with me. Louis on tour with me. Fred is in it. Bobby's in it. Violet's in it. Louis in the backyard on my zip line. I mean, I've seen a little preview, and there are some very spicy moments in there that I think will cause a little bit of a stir. We'll start a little bit of a conversation. Some stuff from my book that has not been talked about very publicly, some stuff that is truly contentious. And I'm sure it's going to rub my Daily Mail fans the wrong way <clears throat> in places, but I thought it was a beautiful, really sweet interview. I loved seeing the family in it, and I really felt like Louis drew from us something that no one else has before. So I would love it if you would watch that, because that'll make the BBC trust me a little bit more, let me do more things. And also, I'm excited for you guys to see this side of my family. You've already seen it, really, on the podcast. This is my, my true spirit. But I'm excited, and there will be people who don't like it, and I'm excited for that as well. Uh, that's November 22nd on the BBC. Please write me a letter if you want to. When we come back, I'll be answering all of your problemos. But first, some words from our sponsors. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Oh good, here's one about my very favorite subject, gentle parenting and pregnancy. Catherine, my son is a similar age to Fred. From listening to your podcast, I believe my husband and I are raising our son very similarly to how you and your husband are raising Fred. He's 18 months, he still breastfeeds at night. He sleeps in our bed because it makes it all so much easier and I sleep better too. I never, ever want to sleep train him or do anything that will involve not responding to him crying. I finally have my period back. Hooray! No one ever says that. <laughs> I finally have my period back. Hooray! So I imagine I could get pregnant again, but I get scared to bring a new baby into our lives when our son is so dependent on me at night. How did you juggle through this worry if you've had it at all? Should I be gently trying to move my son to his own bed and wean him off before getting pregnant again? And how do I do this in a way that aligns with my parenting values? Oh, easy. Nine months is a very long time. Your son at 12 months was very different to how he is now even at 18 months. And your son at two years old is going to be so different to how he is at 18 months. So I think with babies, it's very difficult to predict the future, especially when it's your first. And I was reading something very troubling that said that you shouldn't have babies less than 18 months apart. Well, they say to recover your body that you should wait 18 months to even get pregnant. And then I've seen posts that say you should wait three years between babies so that you can replenish your nutritional stores and you can sleep more and it's just better for your body. But whatever. That's not the Irish way, babe. So um, I know that a lot of people have babies very close together. Uh, my babies will be less than 18 months apart. So, um, yeah, I do worry about that with Fred, but I definitely have not 
made any efforts to prepare him for the baby or to move him out because I just feel like whatever happens when the baby comes, we'll roll with it. My plan is to keep Fred on his usual schedule and to make the baby fit around that because the baby is a baby and doesn't really know about our lives yet. Like it's the baby's job to fit into our family, I feel like. And we will respond to Fred's needs and we will respond to the baby's needs. And genuinely what I think will happen is that Bobby will do a lot with the newborn because Fred is so attached to me at the minute. He loves Bobby too, uh, obviously, but he's going through like an especially mama, mama, mama phase. Though, interestingly, Fred was never super attached to the breast. So that does help. I breastfed Violet till she was two and a half. And at the end, it was only at night. I wasn't like breastfeeding a two and a half year old in a cafe or at nursery. But if you want to do that, you should. I was just breastfeeding her to sleep and she was co-sleeping and breastfeeding a little bit through the night. And I never even really remember waking up or being disturbed by that. It was just for comfort or whatever. And anyone who judges you or says like, oh, no, I can't be doing that at night. Like you need to sleep however you need to sleep. And I think that the North American damage done from sleep training, like this is my personal opinion. I don't want to judge you because at the end of the day, what your baby and what your family needs is a mother and or father and or other mother or whatever parental guardians who are mentally well. So whatever you need to do in your house to function, to go to work in the morning, to be mentally well, to be the best carers that you can be, whatever, you know, do that. And if that is sleep training, all right, do it. But if you can avoid sleep training, I really actually think it's traumatic I think we're the only mammal that takes a newborn and wraps it up and puts it in a different cold room and goes, night night, see you in 12 hours. Like Americans especially do that. And it's fucked. And like, what does it teach them? They stop crying eventually. Okay. Is that because they've learned it's bedtime? <laughs> you can't discipline a newborn. It's because they've given up. They've gone, no one's coming for me. And that breaks my heart. And um, I think I was, I don't know if I was sleep trained. I imagine I was. My mom went back to work when I was very young and I went to daycare. But like I turned out fine. I mean, despite the glaring obvious issues. But I mean, we'll all turn out fine anyway. Do your best. Whatever your best is, I'm here for it. But I strongly believe in responding to your child's needs at night. Because if my husband was crying at night, if anyone, my teenage daughter, if I were crying at night and the people that loved me the most ignored me. That would fuck me up mentally today. And I'm 39 years old. So do what you need to do. But Fred's never been hugely attached to the breast. He also is quite dangerous in his rolling around. So we've moved him into a little mattress on the floor with guards. It's kind of known as a Montessori bed. But if he um, wiggles in the night or cries for milk, I go straight over to him and I lay in that bed for a little while and that's how we do it and that's how we'll continue to do it with the newborn. So my main advice would be you can tandem feed. A lot of people breastfeed a toddler and a newborn a lot. So you Google about tandem feeding. Your breast like magically knows which baby it's feeding. It'll give colostrum to the newborn and it'll give other milk to the toddler. I don't know how. Uh, my milk supply dropped hugely when I got pregnant and Fred was nine months when I got pregnant. So I felt really bad. But um, I still pumped as much as I could. And then he was happy drinking cold milk from a bottle. He's always wanted cold breast milk from a bottle. So we switched to a dairy-free formula. And, you know, I still have the bottles ready at night. And I feed him in the night, but from bottles. So Fred is not hugely attached to the breast like your son is. But you'll manage. And you can tandem feed. And it'll be stressful for a while. But then it'll be so worth it. And don't try to predict who your son will be in nine months because it's a huge percentage of his lifetime and he will be very grown up. Fred is now so much more grown up than he was when I first got pregnant. So don't stress. Don't even think about it till the baby's here. Good luck. What? No. Oh, in a previous podcast, I talked about Elon Musk. Elon Musk has just purchased Twitter for a staggering amount of money. And Twitter, if you're on it, has just been steadily depreciating in value since that time I think just yesterday he called all these employees back from working from home and he's like you need to put in 40 hours a week in the office it's crunch time we gotta like fix this app so I don't know what's happening with that investment but I spoke about his family and this young woman has just written me an email giving me the tea on Elon Musk's father Errol Musk which I did not know 
All right. Errol Musk was married to model May, Elon's mother, as you said. She is stunning. He then went on to marry Heidi, who at the time had a four-year-old daughter, Jana, from another relationship. Long story short, Errol ends up having a baby with Jana. She was 30 at the time. He was 71. So like a Woody Allen situation? What? Elon Musk started looking after his stepdaughter when she was four. Now they have two kids together. Oh, my God. What comes to mind when his name is mentioned, okay, this is an Australian article from mamamia.com, which is exactly my reaction. Oh, God. The 51-year-old Tesla founder's family life has been at the center of public interest lately. This is Elon Musk. It was revealed this week that the billionaire had allegedly secretly welcomed twins with a surrogate. Yeah, we know that. Elon Musk has a lot of kids. Okay. But his dad is in the news at the moment because of his relationship with his own stepdaughter. According to Elon, his dad has an extremely high IQ and was the youngest person to get a professional engineer's qualification in South Africa. He divorced Elon's mom in 1980. Blah, 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 blah. My dad was not physically violent with me. He was only physically violent when I was very young. Oh, all right, that's fine then. Errol said in a statement to Rolling Stone, I've been accused of being a gay, a gay, a misogynist, a pedophile, a traitor, a rat, a shit, quite often a bastard by many women whose attentions I did not return, and much more. My own wonderful mother told me I am ruthless and should learn to be more humane. I love my children and would readily do whatever for them. Yeah, including giving them two kids, apparently. Get to the bit about Jana. Okay. After divorcing May, he married Heidi Bezuidenhut, a fellow South African, in 1992. At the time, she had a child from her first marriage, a four-year-old daughter, Jana. He became stepfather to Jana. They had two more children, Rose and Alexandra, he and Heidi. For the next 18 years, Errol and Heidi remained a couple. Oh, fuck no. And raised the three girls, Jana, his stepdaughter, Rose and Alexandra, his biological daughters, for 18 years. Raised them all. So this is until Jana was 22. Then Heidi and Errol split. Okay. Seven years after that, so Jana's 29, the shocking news was made public. Errol and Jana, this is Errol's stepdaughter again, Jana, were expecting a baby together. They welcomed the baby, called him Elliot. Errol said he and Jana reconnected in 2016. We were lonely, lost people, he told the newspaper. You're fucking lonely and lost because you're 71. Every 71-year-old's lonely and lost. It's called dementia. I don't mean to take the piss out of dementia. That's a very serious disease. One thing led to another. You can call it God's plan or nature's plan. What? No, that is not. This is against God and nature in every single way, Errol. In the interview, Errol said he did not consider Jana, now 30, as his stepdaughter because she was raised away from the family for long periods of time, (gasps) referring to her stint in boarding school. Boarding school is fucked in every way like in certain cases if you're like a teenager or a a young adult and your parents are very busy working I do think you can get a lot of good pastoral care from boarding school I think that's a time in your life when the tribe of your friendships becomes really important but was this little girl sent away to boarding school at like age five six seven there are documentaries in the UK about the effects of sending your child away I mean long term away to boarding school when they're very very young And getting back to this gentle parenting, responding to needs, I just think we're going to learn a lot more about it either way in the future and what it does to people. The baby looks just like my other daughter's. Yeah. She wasn't planned. We're living together. Jana stayed here for about 18 months after the baby was born. But I realized Jana is two generations behind, whereas her mother was one generation behind when I married her. Yeah, well, well, good. Wow. From the man with the highest ever fucking IQ in South Africa. Well, what I realized after having babies with both these women is that her mother, who I married, was one generation behind me. And then it struck me that her mother's daughter, you know, the next generation, was two generations behind me. And, you know, what I'm starting to think is that the baby that I had with her daughter is one, two, three generations behind me. 
what? Love doesn't know math. Errol Musk doesn't know math. So any man who marries a woman, even if you feel very sprightly, it's going to be nice for a while. <laughs> but there's a big gap, said Errol, and that gap is going to show itself. I married her mother when she was 25 and I was 45. She was probably one of the best looking women I've ever seen in my life, he said about Jana's mother. <sighs> so now he no longer lives with Jana, nor does he see his two kids with her regularly. Jana declined to comment. Errol ended with this. The only thing we are on earth for is to reproduce. If I could have another child, I would. I can't see any reason not to. What? If I thought about it, then Elon or Kimball wouldn't exist. So he just doesn't think about it. He just has as many kids as he can. And he doesn't see his kids. Huh. As for how his biological kids feel about the fact Errol has had children with Jana, he says they're not pleased. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Uh, Tosca, Rose, and Alexandra were shocked. To them, Jana was their sister. Yeah, because Jana is their sister. And they still don't like it. They still feel about creepy about it because she's their sister. Well, their half-sister. I'm getting out of this article. What the fuck? What is wrong with the masks? Oh, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Sick. Ooh, Catherine, am I the problem? You know what? Usually, and that's okay. Sometimes you got to just own like, oh, maybe I'm the problem. Oh, well, but if it's a problem for you, then you need to walk away. Let's see what this problem is. All right. I'm in a relationship that's going well, but there's one thing I'm really struggling with. I wish I could get over it, but I can't. It makes me feel rubbish. My partner regularly looks at pictures of attractive naked women. He looks at porn, hot girls on Instagram, and sometimes he will go look something up on his phone and it goes to a page like that and I see it and it just makes me feel sick and really rubbish about myself. I think maybe I should be okay with it. So I go a bit quiet and I don't say anything. There's so much of it out there. It makes me feel like I'm not enough. And when he calls me sexy, I think he's just lying. Any thoughts would be so appreciated. He's not lying when he calls you sexy. He thinks you're sexy, but he's very visual and he wants to also look at all these other images of girls that are sexy. And them being sexy doesn't take away from you being sexy. It's like a, a different thing. But you don't have to be okay with something based on your perception of like what society deems as normal. If you hate like lizards and you've said to your partner like, look, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like the mention of lizards or any pictures of lizards or whatever, like it's a thing for me that makes me feel bad. And your partner was bringing home like commissioned art, putting pictures of lizards up on the wall. You know, like, should you have a problem with a picture of a lizard? Maybe not, but you do. And it makes you feel bad and he's doing it anyway. So anything your partner does that makes you feel bad is grounds for dismissal like some people it doesn't mean he's bad for looking at porn some people like to look at it and it's fine with their partner and everyone's happy and it's okay but you are a mismatch if there's something that he likes to do that causes you pain that's it and it's okay to walk away from a relationship like that or to have a conversation where you go you're not a bad person for looking at porn and looking at instagram girls and you might believe that i'm being oversensitive but at the end of the day no matter what I've tried, it makes me feel rubbish. So if you wish to continue doing that or do it behind my back and I'm going to find out anyway or whatever, like just let me know, have a few days to honestly think, is it important? Uh, do you need to keep looking at it or can you stop looking at it? Because if you can't stop, then I need to find someone else who doesn't look at it. And I promise you there are so many guys who don't look at that. Um, mostly older guys, I think. I don't know, actually. No, it's probably younger guys. I think younger guys are maybe more in tune to how toxic and harmful some of the sex industry can be. I don't know. Look, there are vanilla guys that you can date who don't look at it. And it's okay to be the problem and to peacefully walk away from a relationship and go, this isn't right. It makes me feel bad. Goodbye. Uh-oh, Catherine, is he in love with his best friend? I've recently started dating a lovely guy who I get on great with. We have so much fun together. There's huge chemistry in the bedroom, and we have similar outlooks for our futures. I'm almost 40. I'm divorced with one child. He's 38. He's never been married, but has been in some serious relationships. And he would potentially like to settle down, which is also what I'm looking for. Everything feels great, but I'm worried he might possibly be in denial about his feelings for his female best friend. 
Her name crops up almost every day. He's told me he helps her with things in terms of her relationship issues. They have a mutual hobby, which is how they met one year ago. One year ago. And have been friends through their respective last breakups and support each other emotionally a lot. Even before he met, we met, he told me that they speak on the phone for hours at a time. Oh, so you guys were like chatting online or something. And he said, oh yeah, I have this female best friend that I speak to for hours on the phone at a time. Ooh. And their mutual friends ask if they're sleeping together. He says that once whoa, near the start of their friendship, they discussed the idea of a friends with benefits scenario, but they agreed not to go there as she was still in love with her ex. He says that ever since they've taken that idea totally off the table and now he would never consider such a thing as he values their friendship too much. He wouldn't want anything to get in the way of that. Plus, he's met me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plus. He's met me, and he really wants to see where that could go. He tells me of the issues she's coming to him with, has returned her call once in my company, once, and makes comments about when you meet her to me, which makes me feel slightly better, but I can't shake this feeling that he may potentially have feelings for her that he is trying to suppress. He also once said there's no physical attraction between them, and I can't help but wonder if he does fancy her, but she's not into him physically, even though he's gorgeous. Am I potentially getting myself into a sticky situation by continuing to date him and fall for him? If there's a risk, he's going to realize his feelings for her one day. Huh. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit, but that's because I'm your age. And I don't know. I think we're wrong about some of these uh, very binary lines between female-male friendships. Like... I think when we were growing up, the message was, no, a boy's not going to be friends with you unless he secretly wants to fuck you. And that was often true. And maybe it is still true. But like, I think gender is more fluid now and people do have best friends. But like, look, I don't know. Speaking from my experience, Bobby does not have a male friend that he talks on the phone to for hours. He does have male friends that he golfs with for several hours, though. And I think if he was golfing with a woman, I might feel threatened by that. But let me really think about it. Okay, if Ricky was a woman, this is Bobby's golf friend, with whom he spends like hours a week. If Ricky was a woman, no, because you know what? Bobby and Ricky might be like secretly bi. You know, like I can't assume that just because someone's like a separate gender that they might have romantic feelings to each other I can honestly tell you if Ricky was a woman I wouldn't mind Bobby golfing with him or her like I just wouldn't if they were talking on the phone for hours and hours and hours I don't know how I'd feel about that though I, th I feel like that's very intimate but they walk around golfing for hours and hours Ugh. I think I think you need to be asking him this not me I think you need to sit down and go look uh, you, of course, appreciate that not many men have a female best friend with whom they spend hours on the phone. So it does make me a little bit uncomfortable, even though my instinct is that things are going well with us and I want to trust you. There's something about it that I find unusual and it makes me feel uneasy. And then I think maybe not in like a psycho way, but maybe I might want to sit down and, and with both of them and have a lunch or something. Be like, what do you mean when I meet her? Like, I'd like to meet her now. Let's do this. Like, or maybe with low pressure, maybe don't have the chat about it making you uncomfortable. Be like, oh, do you and this chick want to have lunch on Tuesday or something? And then like meet with both of them and use your spidey sense because right now you're just using intellectual thought. And you're trying to figure it out. But I think you need to be in a room with both of them. And then you will be able to tell if there's sexual energy. Because I've been in a room with Bobby and Ricky and there's no sexual energy there. So maybe that's it. Yeah. Get in a room with these two because it's possible that they're just friends and they'll always be friends. That's fully possible. And I'm friends with my ex, my one ex, who's not a bastard. And um, I don't talk to him often at all. We don't talk for hours on the phone, but we text here and there and we DM and we meet up for lunch and stuff with Bobby. Usually, I don't think we've ever met up without Bobby, but Bobby's fine with him. Bobby doesn't give a shit at all. And Bobby likes him and we're all friends. So, I mean... Get in a room. Get in a room with the two of them. Yes. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. Please watch my Louis Theroux interview on BBC2 at 9 p.m. on November 22nd. Let me know what you think. You can Instagram me or Twitter me if I'm not kicked off by Elon Musk yet at Cathbum, or you can write me a letter here telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I'm really excited about it. I feel so honored. Um, I'm only on tour for two more nights, tonight in Stoke and tomorrow in Manchester. We have just released 20 tickets because sometimes the venue holds tickets for me because they think I have friends and I don't have any friends. I keep telling them. 20 tickets have just been released for the sold out show in Manchester tomorrow. My uh, brand new show, Misses, that I've been touring, that has been sold as a special. So that will be available from a streamer that you love one day soon. And I'm not going to be touring again for probably two years. So if you're in Manchester, come see me tomorrow. If you're in Stoke, don't forget to come see me tonight. And then that's it for a bit. Um, I'll see you soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com